1861, Abraham Lincoln appointed John Dawson as governor of the territory of Utah. On today's episode, we will continue to explore the consequences stemming from that appointment to include yet another gunfight involving Orrin Porter Rockwell. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. As we saw last week, Governor Dawson had lasted all of three weeks in Utah before he made an indecent advance on the widow Albina Williams. She responded by picking up a coal shovel and driving him out of her house. Now, the governor was fleeing the territory. He hired Wood Reynolds to take him to Mountain Dell Station, where he would set out for Washington, D.C. But as it turned out, Reynolds was a nephew of Albina Williams, and that night, he and his friends, Lot Huntington, Moroni Clausen, John P. Smith, and others, burst in on the governor while he was sleeping and beat him senseless, almost within an inch of his life. Before leaving, they stole his buffalo robe for good measure. This turn of events put the Latter-day Saints in a difficult situation. The beating of a scoundrel in Utah was not something that they would care much about in Washington, D.C., even if that scoundrel happened to be the governor. But they may care very much if Dawson had been beaten because he was the governor. And so church leaders rushed the affidavit of Albina Williams to Washington, arguing to Abraham Lincoln that there had not been any political motivation behind the beating. When Lincoln read her affidavit, he told John Bernheisel that he supposed the whole thing had been a private affair, and then, citing the example of Adam in the book of Genesis, Lincoln blamed the devil for appointing John Dawson as Utah governor and rolled the blame of the whole thing onto him. Even so, the civil authorities in Utah could not just ignore what had happened. And so it was that Sheriff Robert T. Burton was given arrest warrants and charged to bring in the men who had beaten and robbed the governor. This story brings up an interesting aspect of life in Pioneer, Utah. Many of the young men growing up in the territory, whose parents had been among the first converts to Mormonism, could be described best as ambivalent to the law, if not outlaws themselves. The most famous of them, Butch Cassidy, was the son and grandson of handcart pioneers. While many of these young men had been too small to remember, their mothers and fathers certainly lived through the horrors of mob attacks, both in Missouri and Illinois. As children, they had crossed the plains in wagons and handcarts. All of them had come of age in a hard-scrabble frontier world where saints, soldiers, gamblers, native peoples, Miners, camp followers, and carpetbaggers mixed in potentially explosive ways. And it made for a people, a rising generation, that could seem to us today like walking contradictions. On the one hand, these young men could be prone to whiskey and quick to violence. They could be accomplished thieves and could take profanity to new and imaginative levels. But on the other hand, these same young men could be truly heroic and selfless and capable of great acts of sacrifice. But from the years 1859 to 1860, 
Utah saw a spike in crime at the hands of these young men. Now, some of these young men were riding south after beating Governor Dawson, Lot Huntington, John Smith, and Moroni Clausen. Now, on their way south, they stopped in the small settlement of West Jordan. There, they found a beautiful mare known as Brown Sal. She was tied to the fence post near the home of the Bishop Archibald Gardner. The owner, John Benyon, had come for tithing settlement and had stayed with the bishop until after midnight. Now, he was especially proud of Brown Sal, who was well known in the territory for her speed, her intelligence, and her gameness for fording rivers. But as the pious John Benyon was settling his accounts with the bishop, Huntington and the others nonchalantly untied Brown Sal and rode off with her down the road. When John came out for the journey home, she was nowhere to be found. But John was not one to take such theft lying down. He dispatched his son, Sam, and three others to chase down the thieves and recover Brown Sal. But the thieves had all the advantages. With snow beginning to fall, every mile made their tracks harder and harder to follow. Their only hope would be to recruit an experienced tracker and scout, and they found just such a man in Oren Porter Rockwell. Now Rockwell, in addition to being one of the most experienced scouts and trackers in the territory, was also a good man to have in a fight. And nobody expected that the fugitives, especially Lot Huntington, would come quietly. Lot Huntington had gained a reputation as a daring and dangerous man, a notorious cattle wrestler, but he was also a crack shot, and men crossed him at their peril. As the notorious killer Bill Hickman would learn on Christmas Day, 1859, Hickman, Huntington, and others were gathered that morning in a house along Main Street in Salt Lake City. Hickman and Huntington began to argue allegedly how to divide the spoils of their cattle wrestling operation. Hickman eventually got angry, drew a knife, and tried to stab the young Huntington. But Huntington defended himself and managed to maneuver out into the open. When Hickman followed him, Huntington calmly drew his pistol and fired. The bullet glanced off Hickman's watch, striking him in the thigh. Other members of the band then began to fire at Huntington, but he and his friends responded in kind, keeping up a volley of suppressing fire until they escaped. When the smoke cleared, over 50 rounds had been fired along Main Street that Christmas morning, making it the single most violent holiday Salt Lake City has ever experienced. Hickman survived, but walked with a shuffling gait the rest of his life. A visible reminder to all about what could happen when you crossed Lot Huntington. With Porter Rockwell at the lead, the posse followed the tracks of Brown Cell for three days of hard riding, with no time for sleep. Finally, on the morning of 16 January 1862, they caught up with the fugitives at Faust Station, about 20 miles west of Utah Lake. Rockwell and the posse took up positions behind a pile of cedar posts and waited for the outlaws. After a couple of hours, Lot Huntington emerged, pistol in hand. Rockwell called on him to surrender. Huntington laughed. Retrieving Brown Sal and using her flank as a shield, he began making his way out of the corral. Porter again called on them to surrender from behind the cedar posts. 
Huntington shot back that if Porter or anyone else showed their face, he would blow them away. Then, with one hand, he began methodically breaking down the railing of the corral, making an improvised escape route. But on the last rail, he used too much force jerking it loose, and the pull smacked Brown Sal in the flank, causing her to rear up and flail. <coughs> then, just for a moment, Huntington was exposed under the flailing hooves of the mare. Porter fired shot after shot, striking Huntington again and again. Huntington slumped over on the fence and died immediately. Porter and his posse then took Smith and Clausen, who surrendered, back to Salt Lake City. Cold, tired, and hungry, they arrived about 5 o'clock in the morning, where Porter handed them over to the city police. What happened next is a matter of some dispute. According to the Salt Lake City Police, Smith and Clausen made a break for it almost as soon as they were handed over. The Deseret News speculated that the men probably assumed that the city police were not armed, but as they ran down the street, shots rang out and bullets flew after the fleeing men. And they didn't make it far. Shot down and died within minutes. The Deseret News lost no time in writing, The thanks of the community are most certainly due to Mr. Rockwell and those who were with him and assisted in making the arrests. We are no advocates of extreme measures when they can be avoided, but unless laws are honored and enforced, life and property in a country like this are held by a very uncertain tenure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Adventures in Mormon History. Please join us next time as we continue exploring the cascade of bizarre consequences that came from the appointment of John Dawson as governor of the Utah Territory. Next time, we will conclude with the discovery of grave robbery and a French ghost reportedly haunting the Great Salt Lake. I'm your host, Nate Olson.